0: To another episode of the Bills Beat. However, you are joining us, whether it be on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me, my co-host Matthew Fairburn of the Athletic, and we've got uh, some uh, some topics to get into because we're we're through the Senior Bowl, and the next barely big, barely yeah right the next big event would be the NFL Combine in a month. I mean, there's this little thing called the Super Bowl on Sunday, um, depending on when you're listening to this, and there's not really too much else in between the Super Bowl and the Combine. It, it, basically, one of the, the dead-ish periods, but that's also a time where teams start to resign and, and uh, get their guys under contract, which will probably lead to a lot of Bills fans thinking, ah, oh, crap, he's off the board now, and, and just looking at free agency in that way but before we get into that and perhaps some positional values ranked by free agency we have some business to attend to the last time we did a podcast it was the reveal of the come on darlene bracket and the reveal of the uh the play-in games and the opponents of the plan um tim graham's plans and i am here to tell you the results my friends quite a large group of people voted yeah uh it, we had 197 voters in total which is somewhat substantial considering that we did not tweet out this link we made you guys do the work basically you had to go find the soundcloud uh SoundCloud Info and click the link there, or you tweeted at us, you know, one way or the other. You you found your way over there. And almost 200 responses. And I am here to tell you that these things were close. Like, really close. The 2 plans. The first one was Arnie Herber for being on the pa- Packers' wall of fame versus the referee calling an incomplete pass a fumble twice, which, going back and thinking about it, it's the one where... Josh Allen did that push pass where the receiver was in motion. Ah, yes. Yeah, that that was the one. And that was one of the matchups. The other matchup was Adam Vinatieri for missing two extra points and failing to break the NFL record the week we were there versus Sean McDermott for explaining Ray Ray McLeod's absence as a football decision against the Indianapolis Colts. So 197 votes. Both results were 51 to 49%, which... Is somewhat surprising, considering how many people voted. The winner of the first play-in, by a total of 101 to 96 votes, Arnie Herber. Welcome to the main bracket, beating the referee calling an incomplete pass a fumble twice. So now that one moves on to face. Let's see if I can find it really quickly. It moves on to Face. Fairburn for daring and encouraging Marcus Murphy stacks in week 15. And then the second play-in result, Sean McDermott for explaining Ray Ray McLeod's absence as a football decision won by 100 to 97 votes. Wow. Close. close. Very close. Call Within five votes for each of these things. So Sean McDermott and his football decision will be going up against Henry Anderson for cold clocking Stephen Hauschka in week 14. So the bracket, the main bracket is set. So now, there's a new link for you guys to vote on the first round, all 16 matchups. And then the next episode, we'll, uh, we'll redraw and figure out who's going to match up in the Sweet 16. Same thing the next week, the week after that, and then we'll have a champion b- before too long. So, get to work. Here's what you do. Either um, find the link to the, to the questions, to, to vote really, in the uh, SoundCloud info... Or you can tweet at uh Fairburn and myself with uh, the hashtag come on Darlene and we'll be sure to send you the link that way. So let's see if we can uh, crack over two hundred votes here. This is uh I would and that, now it
1: now it counts. You it know, really the, does. The playing and games, it's cute, you know. They right. they snuck in, but I don't know, there Arnie Herbert could make a run. T G is in. Arnie Herber could make a run, TG is in the Arnie could make a run He I could think. Uh, yeah. T G is in the bracket and so is uh, Sean McDermott's Ray Ray McLeod, which I was kind of expecting to get bounced out. But, really. Um, you know, I think I think Arnie Herbert's is the real dark horse in all this. <laughs> he, I, I think we'll remember Arnie Herber for a long time, regardless of what what happens. He'll be one of, he'll be the, the George Mason of this bracket.
0: So in putting the bracket together like in an actual spreadsheet with like the the lines and everything, um, I went back and listened to the last episode because you know far be it for me to actually write it down as we did it. That would be way easier, right? Um, and then just watching, listening to some of the matchups. There are some good ones. Like one matchup was the dabbing Jumbotron man in New England versus Fairburn not mentioning Blaine Gabbard on the last podcast. That that's, that's
1: a that's a heavyweight matchup. It's especially right. important that the dabbing man was a, was a New England man. Right. That exactly. I think that'll really. Get the people going. Absolutely, and so
0: there's so many good matchups in this one. So we encourage you to vote again. Either find, um, open up the SoundCloud link and find the link right in the info, or tweet at uh, me and Fairburn. Hashtag Come on, Dearly. Okay, uh, now that we've taken care of the business of the pod, let's get into some free agency stuff, shall we? Because this is one of those rare years where the Bills. Have some cap space to work with. I mean, it hasn't really been the case the last couple of years. They've been able to make one kind of major move, one more so minor move. Um, and there's there wasn't too much past that, but this year, they have some flexibility to do really whatever the heck they want. Um, and coinciding with that, a crapload of positions that they need to address. I mean, go down the list. Running back, wide receiver, tight end, offensive tackle, offensive guard, center, defensive end, defensive tackle, linebacker, cornerback, maybe a safety if they want to get a special teams guy there. So, that's basically everything except
1: quarterback right there, which is a fairly uh, substantial
0: task ahead of Brandon Bean and company.
1: Yeah, I think more so than anything, this roster still needs a lot of depth, and you aim as much as you can to build it through the draft, but when you have this kind of space, it's not common. And I think if they're smart about how they spend it, and they're maybe more importantly smart about how they structure the contracts, right. they can get you know pretty creative. And you know, I think the expectation from a lot of people in 2019 is going to be a, a pretty swift turnaround. I don't think 6 and 10 is going to sit as well with people next year as it did this year. So that's where I think the spending will come into play. They've really harped on, you know, the fact that they're not going to go crazy with the money, but fact of the matter is, you have to spend some of it, yeah. and a good chunk of it, really. And obviously, you need to hit on draft picks and everything else, but you just listed off the needs, and they're substantial, uh, whether it's for starters or depth players. And this is where you can, I think, accelerate a rebuild in the NFL these days even if you're trying to build through the draft the way they are.
0: Yeah, you have to do it smartly, though, because as we heard Brandon Bean in his – the buzziest word that he used uh, since the season ended was the judicious spending. It's the thing that everyone's kind of hanging on to, but for good reason because that's something that they have to keep in mind because you can't just go – mario williams style swinging for the fences in free agency because that's where you get yourself into some trouble down the line but if you if you find the positions or the players that are worth it and that can be worth it and that you project to be worth it over the majority of that contract up to the point where there is an out in the deal which is more so important than the the actual amount of years or the actual amount of dollars It's all about signing bonuses and how much money is guaranteed in specific years and when you can get out from underneath that deal. Which leads me to less of a discussion about individual players and more about theory, roster-building theory through free agency and ideologies and what is important and prevalent in today's NFL because basically it's carte blanche for the Bills. They need just about everything outside of quarterback. So it's really a, an exercise in trying to figure out, OK, what positions would be ultimately worth trying to push forward a, uh, let's say, a eight figure per year um, salary or what is more so something that you should try to find in the draft, because that's where the real value of the position is is set up and how much does experience factor into the individual position that factors into the ultimate value. So it's very convoluted, but all that said, it's still a very uh it's an intriguing exercise because, you know, the the Bills get to kinda go into video game mode here, right? they they, they drafted the quarterback, they drafted their middle linebacker last year. They've got a ton of draft picks. They've got a lot of cap space. They need to reshape the entire roster. So here you go. This is this is your palette. Fill it in, Bob Ross, Brandon Bean. This is this is everything to you. So I think where I want to start here is positions that may not be worth it in the grand scheme of things, um, and more more than uh, just based on how much you'd have to spend on it and how much value you could get out of that in comparison to where. The entirety of the cap is so does any one position jump out to you that you're just like
1: you know just don't even bother in free agency my gut says in some ways wide receiver because of what's out there it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily a an every year situation and that's part of it you know you look at even the the super bowl rosters and you see some guys that were acquired in free agency or through trade um robert woods being one of them who's been a pretty key contributor and you can find some impact players that way. It's how the Bears rebuilt their wide receiver core pretty quickly but I don't know that the guys that are out there are going to be worth what the market will likely demand because there's a lot of people, a lot of teams looking for wide receivers and not a ton of top shelf talent out there at the position and so do you want to be the team spending 9 10000000 on the likes of a Tyrell Williams, who mm-hmm. I think would fit well here in the right situation at the right price. But how we've seen the wide receiver market explode in recent years leads me to believe that you should probably tread lightly. I think running back's another one that you just stay away from right? because you've got enough old running backs on the roster. And sure, there's a few guys out there on the slightly younger side, but I think... Economically, the best way to address that position is through the draft. Get a guy on a cheap contract, and use the four years of his rookie deal to kind of maximize his value. And the same might be able to be said about wide receivers. So, mm-hmm. even though those are two big needs heading into the off season, I don't know that they'll be fixed necessarily by you know the t- by the end of March. And first, uh, maybe
0: a, an overarching. Uh, uh, I guess, way to kind of think about this. Contracts in the NFL and professional sports should not be about, at least if you're doing it correctly, should not be about what the player has done before. It is what you are projecting them them to do into the future. And that is where you try and find the value and everything along those lines. And when you when you factor in wide receiver and running back, I mean, the potential outlook of what those players could do are probably great in the short term. Long term, that's where you can get yourself into some trouble. So I agree with with both of your assessments, running back especially. I mean, wide receiver, the the top guy, I think, as in terms of an outside receiver, that I think they would be interested in would be Devin Funchess. And I know that's a name that fans are going, No! Stop with Carolina! Don't do that anymore! This is... But you also have to realize that Kelvin Benjamin and Devin Funchess are two different people, um, and if you look at it in terms of age and projection, I mean Funchess is a couple years younger and still put together a solid season. It's not as though it's not as though Tyrell Williams was just this completely better entity. It depends on what style of receiver you're looking for. And I'll throw another guy into the situation. I think you mentioned him before in in, uh, a previous podcast, but somebody like Adam Humphreys, um, a slot guy, which is something that they desperately need. But are you willing to dump $10 million on a slot guy? Is it that important to you? Is Adam Humphreys going to get $10 million? I mean,
1: potentially. He's what? He had a great year. He's what? Productive year. He's 25. And... I don't know that I'm of the opinion necessarily that a slot receiver is worth any less, especially these days. That could be maybe the most valuable thing you could give Josh Allen sure. is a guy that can get open quickly and make easy catches over the middle of the field because that's what he needs more of is just outlets because he didn't have a lot of those last year. Funchess will be an interesting case because I wonder if he'll if Brandon Bean will have a bit of a shy trigger finger with a guy who seemed to cause some problems in Carolina this year, uh, didn't seem to be a guy that was all in at all times. And if that's the case, you're talking about taking a similar risk to the risk that they took with Kelvin Benjamin. I think they're different players. I think they're uh, different situations just because of Kelvin Benjamin's injury past, mm-hmm. but from the standpoint of wondering whether the guy's going to be all in, wondering whether he's going to be, you know, a fixture in your locker room. One thing Brandon Bean talks about is not wanting to overspend for a free agent who doesn't put in the work because other guys in the room see that and it doesn't help situations that, you know, look at the guys they've they've brought in in free agency, particularly Brandon Bean. He's only been here for one uh free agency period. Trent Murphy is a a notorious hard worker. Yes, he had a suspension uh, and some injury problems, suspension being for performance enhancing drugs. But that's a guy that nobody was questioning his work ethic. Nobody was questioning his habits, his leadership. That was a guy they knew what they were getting. He was their type of guy. Starlo Tulele, same thing. They'd been in the building with him. They knew what they were getting. They knew what they were spending their money on. Mm -hmm. And, I think that's an important thing to them. And if there's any lingering doubt with Funchess, of course they would have as much intel as anybody because the relationships they have with that organization, the fact that Brandon Bean was involved in scouting him. But I do wonder if he's he's the right fit. I, I In some ways early in the season, I I thought he was. And then as the relationship between him and the Panthers dissolved, I had second thoughts, and I don't know for sure which way they'll lean at this point, but a lot will depend, as with every one of these guys that we talk about, a lot will depend on the price.
0: Yeah, and if the price of admission is eight, nine mil a year, I'd just rather go, okay, go draft somebody on day two. I mean, or get by with Zay Jones and and, uh, Robert Foster use that money on a slot receiver and go from there or and still draft a guy to to try and complete a a top four. I don't know that they're necessarily going to go out and sign two receivers because it's vitally important that Robert Foster did what he did at the end of the year because now they think to themselves, okay, well, we have to factor in playing time for that guy. So it becomes less of
1: a pressing need in that, for instance. You need a main target in some ways, but... You know, Tim Graham wrote a story on sort of the number one wide receiver, the maybe the myth in some ways mm-hmm. or the allure of that idea. And you go down the list, uh, it's kind of perhaps a bit coincidental, but Julio Jones doesn't have a Super Bowl. Calvin J- Johnson never won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Randy Moss did not win a Super Bowl. Ter- Terrell Owens did not win a Super Bowl. A lot of these great receivers – uh, you know, when they were highly paid and the focal point of the offense didn't get their team to that, that ultimate, you know, goal. And so look at the teams that are in the Super Bowl right now. Brandon Cooks was a first round pick. Robert Woods was a second round pick, but I don't know that you consider either of those guys a bona fide, like number one. I mean, number one receiver is hard to define in some ways. I think the Bills had the the, the profile of a number one when they had Sammy Watkins, but you know, you at least need kind of a main focal point, a main target in your offense, the way the Patriots have sometimes Gronk, sometimes Edelman, depending on who's on. And neither of those guys is what you would define as your Julio Jones number one receiver type. So if, and this is a big if, but if Robert Foster continues to progress, Mm -hmm. if Zay Jones becomes competent as a number two, then you've got two decent options, bring in a reliable slot receiver. Maybe you get a tight end that could be a difference maker, a running back who can do more with the ball in his hands than LaShawn McCoy seems to be able to do at the moment. And all of a sudden, you have weapons. But that, so those are need... those
0: are also four players. Exactly. <laughs> you
1: it's, add. That's why you, when you don't have the number one, it seems like a monumental task because there are a lot of secondary pieces that you need there are a lot of pieces that make for instance the Patriots offense function the way that it does the Edelmans the James Whites uh, guys like that that fit in and play their roles but do you need the you know obviously the Patriots liked having Randy Moss and the Josh Gordons of the world but didn't desperately need them Mm -hmm. and because they had other players whether it was Gronk or Edelman or Aaron Hernandez when he was playing well the, the Bills don't have anybody that they can turn to right now in that crucial moment and count on for a big play. And so that doesn't need to be a $10 million free agent. It doesn't need to be Devin Funchess or Tyrell Williams or Golden Tate or John Brown, these receivers that are out there, but Adam Humphreys, but they need to find somebody that can, you know, make those that you can turn to be your go-to guide, regardless mm-hmm. of where you put them on the field. Maybe it's one of those Iowa tight ends. Maybe it's uh, a receiver they find in the second round because we've seen guys jump in and, and make plays. But I think they're not going to force it and say, we need a number one. That's you know on our checklist. Let's throw a bunch of money at uh, you know whoever the top guy's out there and then just keep moving on until we get one. I think they'll be smart about it. And like you said, it helps that they got some signs of life out of Robert Foster.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, one other position that I would... I mean, this is me talking, and for thinking that I don't know that it necessarily necessarily lines up with what the Bills would want to do here is guard. I don't think it's necessarily worth it to go all in on a guard in free agency, and guard is guard play is definitely. Improving and becoming more important, especially with uh, interior rushers being what they are, but the amount of good talent at that position, and as compared to in free agency, as compared to what you could get in the draft and on a on a cheaper contract. I mean, Wyatt Teller wasn't great last year, but he was fine, and you can find another serviceable guy. the The way that you should think about it is. All right, can you win with that guy in the starting lineup? Or is he going to cost you potential wins because he's a liability? And Wyatt Teller, you can win with that guy at this moment. But past that, I mean, do you really need to go out of your way to, you know, signed, I think last year, Andrew Norwell was was a big to-do in free agency. Who did he end up signing with? The Jags? I believe so, Of course, so, yeah. Dougie Fresh. Um, but it just leads you to believe that they can – do that elsewhere and leave that cap space to some more important spots uh, on the team, and and not have to figure. I mean, if you get a good deal, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and sneeze at the idea of them getting a a serviceable player for what three, four million, four, five million a year. I mean, that's that's fine, but. I don't think they should go out for the big swing for however much. And I think Norwell probably got near 10 mil or something like that last year. So um, that's that's another one I, I just kind of chuck into the, the same equation there. Like, okay, it, it, sure, it would be nice, but I don't think you necessarily need to go out of your way to do it. Now, on the flip side, the positions that I think are worth it in this instance, just because of how the Bills kind of go about their business, what they value, everything along those lines. I mean, the one, there's actually two of them that that pops out to me more than any based on what they need this year. That being Center, which is increasingly hard to find, a good one. And you had a a great um, article on that with quotes from Brandon Bean, including a very uh, eye-opening quote from the Bills GM. And then the other one here, through free agency, that is based on where the Bills are right now, is Ned rusher, Because they've got both Jerry Hughes and Shaq Lawson coming up on their deals and, and after 2020. And during his Senior Bowl um, address to the media, Brandon Bean brought up a, for instance, and this was in terms of drafting defense with the first round, and like, oh, so you're not ruling that out, right? And he's like, well, you don't you don't want to draft for knee because you're getting yourself in trouble. You also have to keep an eye toward the future. Uh, let's say you have an expiring contract after the next year and that you don't want to re-sign that guy for what? 10-15 million and you'd rather you'd rather have someone on your roster than to fill with your roster. The only spot that he was talking about was defensive end. I mean, he I know he just drew up that situation out of thin air, but I mean, they've got both Hughes and Lawson potentially as free agents after 2020 which leaves a void in terms of the amount of cap space they'll have to assess to that position and having a void just as it is because they, they would have, what, Trent Murphy at that point, and that's it. So I think those two spots, I mean, you could chuck three-technique defensive tackle in there, but I don't think they want to sign a guy like that. I think they'd rather draft and develop him into that, get him on his rookie deal, and then give them the big money once Latule is off and gone. So there, those are those are some of the, the key ones that I think they would probably hone in
1: on in this free agency. I agree with Ed Rusher because that's a position that is proven to be worth the money. Not to say it's a 100% hit rate in free agency, but that's where you're allocating money mm-hmm. in general because of how valuable those players are. And so – if you spend the money on Demarcus Lawrence or Jadavion Clowney or Anthony Barr, whoever it may be, you're doing it, your Your mind is in the right place there. You're not throwing money at a position that's not necessarily worth it.
0: You're, you're plugging Anthony Barr right there? Because not, he yeah, played in the 4-3. Yeah, he's
1: more of probably a linebacker. But he's I like still, Lorenzo Alexander, yeah, to be I honest. still consider him a pass rusher uh, yeah, in general. Same, same. So like, I think he would be worth the money. Especially, almost especially if you play him in that role, because yep. he can do a lot of different things for you. Not, I mean, who knows if he hits free agency or, or what happens with him? I think he's a really good player when he's not getting hurtled by Josh Allen. Of sure. course, right? Um, but that's one of those positions where I think, you, and it's a strong free agent class there. It's a strong draft class there, and that's where Brandon Bean talks a lot about not drafting for need, but what he does do and what most smart teams do is they look at the big picture way before they're in a position where they're forced to draft for need right they look at okay we have the number 9 pick the board initial board has already been set it'll fluctuate a little bit but they have a really good idea i would i would guess they have a strong idea of half a dozen players they'd be comfortable taken at nine, maybe even more, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and they probably have a pretty good idea of who they're going to get. Not a perfect idea this early in the process, but a pretty good one. They also have their free agent board, you know, pretty much set at this point, you know, they've got, uh, and I, and they've had this going back, you know, towards the end of the season where guys on staff, that that's their job. So you go in and you look and you say, all right, free agency strong here the draft is strong here, here's where we can best get value. And Mm -hmm. I think value is the better word than need because obviously a wide receiver is inherently more valuable to the Bills right now than, say, a quarterback. And that may be reflected in some way in, in rankings or whatever, but the important part is to look and say, like you mentioned with defensive tackle, do we need to spend X amount of dollars to get a veteran or can we just sit at number nine and take the best one of these guys that falls because exactly. there's so many of them available They they might have the same view on edge rusher. You know, do we want to get into a bidding war for Jadeveon Clowney or DeMarcus Lawrence, you know, throwing those names out there, assuming they hit the market, which they may right. not. Right. But do you want to get into that bidding war? or Do you want to sit there at nine and, and maybe get a really good one that falls in the draft? So that's part of the big picture thinking that's, That's not drafting for need necessarily. And that's how you set yourself up in a position to take the best player available is if you've thought about all those scenarios, you've addressed free agency in a smart way, and then you can go into the draft and say, all right, we actually can take the best player available because we got our slot receiver. We got our right tackle. And yeah, we desperately need X position, but we don't need it. That's a, the other thing I think you know people forget is the off season doesn't end after free agency. It also doesn't end after the first round. Right. They have nine more picks. Uh, you know, and those guys can become starters too. And this regime has shown that those guys can become starters.
0: Yeah, and to the Lawrence and Clowney, Clownies of the world, my gut tells me they wouldn't be in on those guys even if they put uh, if they became free agents because going back to the whole judicious thing, and that is. That's the Mario Williams type swing. I mean, with how much teams value uh, disrupting the, the pocket, I mean, those guys are handsomely paid. There, there's no doubt there. Um, I wonder if maybe the approach they would take more than that, if they were tr- to try and grab an edge rusher in, uh, in free agency, would be the Anthony Barr route, like, like you brought up, which is somewhat of a hybrid of is he a strong side linebacker is he an edge rusher hey he can probably do both here and get to uh, you know find a find a home and maybe even lessen the need for for finding a a big ticket defensive end because now he can do a couple of things especially when Lorenzo's gone and if if you're going to a a nickel then you're only having two linebackers on the field anyway so Anthony Barr goes down into the edge rusher right there so there's a lot of logic there. Or taking a swing on some of these guys who didn't have a high snap count, but showed some flashes, some signs, and they're relatively young. Guys that I'm talking about. Dante Fowler Jr., who is a former first-round pick, traded from the Jags to the Rams, really started to flourish with the Rams. Of course, how could you not with, with that defensive line? But still, he's someone to kind of look at, still very young. I mean, Ben's Kind of it- a headache. Yes, true. Benson Mayola of the of the Cardinals, another four three edge rusher, formerly of the Cowboys, still super young, showed some promise. Only played fifty percent of snaps last year, and Aaron Lynch of the Bears, who played thirty four percent of the snaps last year, um, and you know there, there's the potential where they've they've shown growth over the last couple of seasons to where what could they do with? a full outlook and you could probably get those guys a bit cheaper as well because you're doing a bit more projecting and trying to figure out okay can this guy be a starter for us so I think maybe if they were to go edge rusher bar probably tops my list or one of those three four guys that I that I talked about I would I would chuck maybe even Brandon Copeland from the Jets in there who played about 55 so there's there's a bunch of names there that that I think has that has that potential young range to where... And Brandon Bean does like to gamble on these guys. He he does like to project and try trying to show where, hey, I can find the hidden gems out there. These That would qualify under that distinction.
1: One guy I'm pretty curious about is Marcus Golden uh, from yeah. the Cardinals because he has, whether it's injuries or them constantly changing their defense hasn't found consistent production, but it's a guy I know that they would fall in love with. Sean, Sean McDermott would absolutely love that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would have some intel with Steve Keim. You know, They'd be able to go through channels to like know that he's one of their guys. The question would be kind of where do you put him? Because right. he's one of those guys I identify as a, a value, I think, in free agency. I think he'll get paid, but... He did most of his damage as a three-four edge guy, but I also feel like the NFL is becoming, especially on defense, very much uh, teams are playing a little bit of everything. Yeah. And so, like in an Anthony Barr situation, you can maybe make him that type of player um, and get something out of him, and you know, get a guy that can play a little bit of coverage, but most, mostly rush the passer, put his hand in the dirt uh, on third downs. That's a guy I just know for a fact that he, he'd he be their type of guy. And then on top of that, he's ha- he's played some really good football when he's healthy and when he's in the right role.
0: Back in his draft year, I remember talking to some people about him in particular, and they're like, this dude, football is everything oh, to he's, him. He's
1: one of those guys Everything. That he's so hungry. Uh, grew up in an awful area of St. Louis, but has so much energy, so much passion for the game, and it, it stuck with me all these years after covering him that last year at Mizzou because seeing that he's a free agent, it's just like he screams. He's there. He's definitely their type of guy, 100%. Mm-hmm. And he's a productive football Like He is a good football player. It's a matter of finding a spot to put him, getting a little bit creative. And if there's one thing I would say I would trust – Sean McDermott to do, it's just that is right. finding a way to get the most out of defensive players and having a little bit of an I don't wanna I don't know that Sean McDermott is a defensive innovator necessarily, but he ha he's cutting edge on that side of the football in terms of just because Marcus Gold doesn't fit into a box that's been previously determined doesn't mean he wouldn't have some value. In fact it might mean he has even more value because other teams will look at him that way, and like some of the other guys you mentioned, that's who you're looking for is guys who have fallen out of favor or haven't been used properly or injuries have held them back. He's not a, a prototype at any particular position, but he gets after the quarterback and – He's a good football player that would instantly bring a ton of juice to the locker room.
0: Yeah, definitely. Another one I forgot: Christian Covington from the Texans. He's uh, he only got 24 percent of the snaps last year. Created very well, according to Pro Football Focus. Is he a four-three defensive end? He's a little bit of a bigger guy, a little bit of a longer guy, but still he's got some. He's got some game to him. So um, I think uh, anything there would be would help because outside of Jerry Hughes, they got nada in terms of getting to the quarterback last season. Okay, uh, flipping back to the other side of the ball, center. Because I think this is... If there was a pole position of positions, of what they might dump a whole lot of money to if they get a chance in free agency, I think it's center. And that uh, part of it is how important it is to the offensive line. Part of it is how much they dumped into eric wood and when they did it with eric wood as opposed to waiting till later on in the year and you know that it ended up burning them because they they didn't wait around but they wanted to send a message that this is important this is this is a guy we want to build around and then all of this being underscored by the fact of how porous or how, how poor offensive line play in college football has been and how how hard it is to find good offensive linemen and all of the all it gets wrapped with a bow, based on what Brandon Bean said to you in your article uh, about the center position. Which, uh, if you haven't read it, I encourage the read. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it was a, a very eye-opening quote where it's like, okay, well, this is
1: uh, I, I suppose they'll be spending ten to twelve million here if they get the chance. Yeah, there's a few things that would lead you to believe that they'll be comfortable. Uh, spending a lot of money on a center, a decent amount of money. But I think it starts, number one, with that there are a couple of guys worth it. Matt Paradise uh, in Denver and Mitch Morse in Kansas City, I Mm -hmm. think, are the two guys you would say are worth the money heading into a second contract, so still pretty young, and guys that have proven they can do it at this level. That's number one. You mentioned Eric Wood, and when I was talking to Brandon Bean, that was kind of a— something that opened my eyes a little bit and made me think was he basically said the reason they draft or the reason they poured so much money into Eric Wood when they did was of course what he means to the franchise, what he'd done on the field, what they thought he could continue to do, which he would have if uh, not for injury, but also what he could bring in terms of helping a young quarterback. And that's kind of an underrated part of that position is Mm -hmm. I think the hardest part for a young quarterback, I'll be writing about this maybe next week, possibly the week after, is identifying pressure, knowing your protections. That's kind of the last hurdle a lot of these guys have to clear. When you have a center who's done it, that makes that a lot easier you know, because the center can get up there and point out certain things and be that quarterback on the offensive line and take some of that burden off a guy. And Brandon Bean essentially said the reason they signed Eric Wood was they knew they would have a young guy, and they wanted to have that center in place to groom him. Mm -hmm. They did it in Carolina where they signed Justin Hartwig, but then uh, Ryan Khalil fell to them in the second round of the draft, and they took him, let him sit for a year, and in the second year he took the job. He just retired, had it forever. And he's another reason why you look at center and say they wouldn't be afraid to spend because he was the highest-paid center in the league last year in Carolina. So that's a guy that meant a ton to that franchise. And he was drafted and developed. Uh, Brandon Bean did say he didn't think it would be too big for him if if they had thrown him in in year one. Question is, can you find that guy? Mm-hmm. This draft has quite a few good centers. But one thing Brandon Bean also mentioned was you don't want to, again, it, it all ties back into drafting for need. He said, if if I identify a few centers that are potentially worth you know, you know, day two pick, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I say, all right, let's pass on free agency, and we get to the draft, and the board doesn't fall that way, and they're not there. Well, now free agency's gone, too. And now you're scrambling, and you're a little bit desperate. So that's where your plan of, you know, signing an older guy and maybe drafting a guy to develop could be, uh, you know, something they, they look at. Or just having a staple at that position, spending the money on – one of these guys. I think Matt Paradise and Mitch Morris are probably the two that are worth it. Yeah. And the interesting part about those two to me, will they hit free agency? Matt Paradise is an Idaho guy, which is pretty close to Denver. I would say (laughs) that's probably your hometown team, right? I
0: thought you were going to say he's an Idaho guy,
1: very familiar with the type of winner in (laughs) Buffalo. But go on, sorry. Could be a fit in Buffalo. I think mostly money talks, right? If the Broncos aren't willing to pay him, he'll go where the money is. And I don't think he would be afraid of Buffalo because being an Idaho guy. But if you live in Idaho, I'd say your hometown team is probably the Broncos. Yeah. And so I don't know if that will play a factor at all. Mitch Morse is a Mizzou guy and playing for the Chiefs. Grew up in Texas, but has been in Missouri for the last eight years of his life or so. So that's another spot where you say – is he really comfortable? Is he going to take a small discount? But do they have the money? Money talks. That's the thing. Money talks ultimately, and, and they've spent the,
0: a lot of it, and they have to account for the Patrick Mahomes if deal. If the that Bills going are to willing
1: to spend, then and I think the the Chiefs might have the ability to move on. Um, they've got yeah. depth at that position, so it depends how important he is to them, and it's hard to say without being uh, around that team every day. But there's a comfort factor for him being, you know, in Missouri. The last however many years of his life. Same goes for Paradise. But ultimately, these guys learn quickly. If that's an ideal world, it's not always an ideal world in NFL free agency. The Broncos could lowball him, and then all of a sudden, you know, he he's ready to you know head somewhere else. And same goes for Mitch Moore. So I think those are the guys that are worth the money. Whether they hit free agency is a big question, uh, but I still think having one of those guys would be a nice it would help every everybody else on the offensive line. It would help Wyatt Teller. You know, Wyatt Teller probably would have been better last year if Eric Wood were the center. True. You know, John Miller probably would have been better last year if mm-hmm. Eric Wood were the center. Uh Deion Dawkins would have been better if Richie Incognito were the left guard. True. Having those veteran pieces around you on the offensive line really helps. And right now, I mean no disrespect or perhaps a little bit of disrespect to the Russell Bodines and Ryan Groys of the world, but those guys, they ain't it. They, they're not that – yeah, they're veterans in age, mm-hmm. but the experience really isn't there. And sure, Russell Bodine started for four years in Cincinnati, but he wasn't very good. And it's a much different game than when you have Eric Wood and Richie Incognito in are guys who have been to Pro Bowls, guys who have been performing – at a really high level and know the standard that it takes. That's a, an interesting and odd position that I feel like I know I've learned more about than I ever wanted to know in the last couple of weeks, writing about the offensive line and, you know, center with O-line coaches and everybody else. But it's just such a different developmental process. And I think the lack of veteran leadership on that line is a huge problem right
0: now. Oh, completely, especially with Josh Allen being what he is. And that's that all leads into it, which is, which was your point exactly. And I I think if once you get past those two guys, though, it probably becomes less so important to try and dump money into because man, Russell Bodine was bad last year. So was Ryan Groy. So you'd have to do a little bit of something. But maybe then that comes to a
1: Okay, well, Bodine, you might start next year, right? Because right. And we're going to draft a guy. Otherwise, you'd have to cut you. him because you're not signing a Travis Swanson. You could, or you're not signing a Travis Swanson and drafting a guy and keeping Bodine on right, the roster. Right? So, something's got to give there. You can you can save money by cutting Bodine a substantial amount, unless the guy you draft is center guard flexible. Right, and. That's why those guys are more valuable. The guys like Elgin Jenkins from Mississippi State can play a little bit of both. Um, Ross Pierschbacher from Alabama can play both. Dalton Reisner can do a little bit of everything. That's where those guys maybe become a little bit more valuable because they do have that flexibility. Maybe you sign a Travis Swanson, you Cut cut Bodine or keep him, and you've got... Maybe you've got Dalton Reisner or you've got Pierce Bocker Draft right a guy guard. like Bradbury and in the then, second or something. And then yeah. you move Pierce in into center. I mean, there's yeah, a million sure. ways you can do it down the line, but I, I do think if you miss out on Morse and Paradise, that's where the spending, you know, the idea of spending big stops. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Mizzou. Didn't Morse play tackle? Morse played a little bit of everything, but he was a tackle right. when I covered him. Right. Um, so he's. I got, remember watching his stuff when he was a tackle and thinking, "Oh, that's not going to go well." You know what's funny is, so did Justin Britt. Justin Britt was the left tackle. Mitch mm-hmm. Morse was the right tackle, and Evan Bame, as a true freshman, was the center when I was covering the team. Evan Bame filled in for Ryan Kelly when he got hurt in Indianapolis. So Evan Bame is uh, now in the league as well and pretty solid. But the Seahawks turned Justin Britt into a center. As well, and he's paid quite well. He's one of the highest-paid centers in the league. So both those Mizzou tackles, there were three NFL centers on that Mizzou line. It was a very good line, yeah, um, and one that um, you know led them to some good things that year. But yeah, it was Morse and Britt were the the two anchors, and now they're both by the end of March are going to be two of the highest-paid centers in the NFL.
0: Yeah, and I think I know a lot of Bills fans are going. Get the get the Denver Center. He's best guy on the board. Go go get him. Go off from whatever it is. But I think there might be a little bit more value there to go for Morse. Um, it's just and the actuality of him hitting the market might, as you pointed out, might be a little bit more more so there. Um, so I, I I don't know. There's something about Mitch Morse that kind of intrigues me for for what the Bills are doing. And you know I, I watched a little bit a couple of games of his from the past year and he looked like uh, he's really good on screens which is something that the Bills just don't have out of any of their offensive linemen right now he's 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 really good at anchoring at the point of attack i mean th- these are these are things that the Bills are lacking and more more importantly than anything He doesn't get pushed back into the
1: quarterback or running back like Ryan Groy and Russell Bodine do.
0: And so that's, those are very important
1: things. He's a strong dude. I think it was why he was always a little bit, I mean, he worked at right tackle in, uh, you know, the SEC when they were running the football a lot. Um, But because he's good in run blocking and he's a guy that I think anchors pretty well. And, you know, when I was, I talked to Steve McKinney who played center for those Terrible Houston Texans offensive lines, but also played guard on the really good Colts offensive lines before that, um, and that was like the, the number one thing he brought up: of why is the center so important? Well, if you if the center gets pushed back, like you mentioned, Ryan Groy and Russell Bodine did way too often, the running play is dead. If you're trying to run the football and your center gets pushed back two yards, you're in trouble unless you have a really uh, slippery running back. So some of these things that sound simple really aren't uh, Mm -hmm. because two guys that were paid, they invested a decent amount of money in center, not a ton, obviously, but it was one of the higher paid positions on the line and got nothing for it. And they got, you know, it was negatively impacting everything that they did. And so probably a disappointing too, given what Ryan people thought Ryan Roy might be, but you know that's where you, a plug and play guy like Morse or Paradise would be a real you know a, have the potential to transform the line in a lot of ways you
0: saying uh, the denver Center's name reminded a conflict in my head like i've looked at his name about 500 times and been like how do i say that name i assume it's paradise so, so we're going to we're going to hear it together uh nameengine.com matt <laughs> Paradise. 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 Okay. So All right. That's, a, that's good. We're, good we're, to know now. We're learning. We're learning.
1: Yeah. Uh, I feel like we perhaps have broken some news because every time I'm on the radio, people ask me about Matt Paradise. Matt
0: Paradise? Well, the name says Matt Paradise. There you go. So, uh, Paradis. Matt Paradise. Per- Paradise. You heard it here first. Paradise. Per- <laughs>
1: Although I'm sure, also, also a fair-headed man. I'm sure, yes, he is. Uh, I'm sure out in Denver, people have been calling him his right name, but here in Buffalo, I don't think people have. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe so, other people have, and I just haven't. I mean, you you were saying at Paradise, but that's not.
0: I, I was, I've just been like terrified of the name because I'm like, okay, how do I say that? And then I'm just like, well, I'll, I'll look that up when I'm doing my. Attrition. But it's, I, th- I think it was finally time. So yeah, there it is, Paradise. PSA, Paradis. Okay. Um, so the center position, very important. I mean, then there's the other positions in there. Um, you know, you could throw tackle in there if you want to. Uh, it all depends on what you're asking them to do. I mean, if if you're sending if you're if you're assessing a substantial amount of your cap room to an offensive tackle, that dude better be playing left tackle. I, I mean that's that's to me, that would when be. You got Jordan warm. Mills
1: at right tackle, you get a little bit desperate to spend some money and upgrade. Fair, fair, but that
0: would say that you're comfortable with Deion Dawkins uh, at at left tackle, and which
1: I don't think th- think that they are at the moment. I mean, clearly they are not. Yeah. Otherwise, they would have said as much. Yeah. Nor should they be. No. He let up a lot of sacks last year. Yep. Now, offensive tackle Darrell Williams is kind of the prize, mm-hmm. and again, people will roll their eyes because. Carolina. He's a Carolina guy. Yep. He's coming off you know, a season that he didn't play uh, because of injury. But was one of the better right tackles in football before that. I think if you can – I mean, look, a couple years ago, they made a run at Ricky, Ricky Wagner, who got paid very well. Pre-Bean.
0: Um, Pre-Bean. Have, but, to, have to note that every time. But yeah, but, yeah, they did, certainly. McDermott
1: said, okay, we need a right tackle badly. Let's then, chuck
0: nine million at Wagner.
1: And yet – They've gone the last two seasons with Jordan Mills. He's at had right incredible tackle. staying power. I don't know how he's been able to do it's it. It's the state of offensive line play. You find you will find a lot of Jordan Mills' around the NFL mm-hmm. because teams have trouble upgrading from guys like that. It's not to say Jordan Mills is a great player because he's not, but he's good enough at times. And he's sort of a baseline below average that – It's not always easy to upgrade that spot or draft and develop uh, when you're turning over position coaches or when you've got Juan Castillo as your offensive line coach. So that's where Deion Dawkins is an interesting piece to this whole thing because if you spend big money on Darrell Williams, you're either making Deion Dawkins a guard Mm -hmm. or you're keeping him at left tackle and you're, at that point you'd have to get who Jonah Williams or Cody Ford to be your left tackle, you know, one of these top tackles in the draft. So, or the, the Florida kid Taylor. Yep. j Taylor, is that his name? Yep, and, and, uh, Greg Little is the other right. potential first rounder. So it, that complicates Deion Dawkins complicates things, things a little bit because that guy was supposed to be sort of the fixture that this whole thing was built around, and now he's not. Mm -hmm. Uh, He did not have a good year whatsoever, and there's no guarantee that he bounces back in any substantial way. And coming out of the draft, a lot of people thought he was a guard anyways. And again, that's pre-Bean when the Bills were drafting off the information collected by Doug Whaley and his staff. And, you know, it's not a spot where you say, like, Is this guy a slam dunk? Is this a home run that this guy's good? I mean, now you have to have questions.
0: Which, by the way, remember the Bills jumped ahead of the Panthers to get Deion Dawkins to ensure that they had him? The the guy that the Panthers stood there and took, Taylor Moten, has been awesome for them or was awesome for them last year. So you would have to think that maybe Bean knows a bit more about
1: identifying offensive tackles than good old Sean McDermott does. Potentially, or at least more than... Doug Whaley. I don't know. It depends who... I'm, that's such a weird draft. Yeah, it 2017, is. 2017, because obviously all the scouting intel was gathered by Doug Whaley and, and his group. But, I mean, anybody who doesn't think Sean McDermott was making the decisions, uh, you know, I think is, you know, not seeing the whole picture. But he was making the decisions with, but you know, information that maybe wasn't great or, you know, I don't know. It's a weird draft because he'll get... You know, praised for the Matt Milano Mm -hmm. pick and the Tredavious White pick, um, but it's easy to give them a pass for, you know, trading out of the pick that could have been a franchise quarterback um, or potentially both those second rounders being, you know, there's big question marks about both those guys heading into year two Zay Jones and Deion Dawkins. Plus, sacrificing more picks to get those guys, more picks just to get two second rounders, which isn't inherently evil in and of itself, although Mm -hmm. it's not great practice in general, Mm -hmm. but doing it to get two guys that heading into year three, I wouldn't say they're 100% sold on by any means. So, and again, not Brandon Bean picks. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. I think how they handle offensive tackle and how they handle wide receiver will in some ways tell you how they feel about Deion Dawkins and Zay Jones.
0: Yes, agreed. Um, there's some other name. I mean, Daryl Williams obviously is the obvious one here, just with the Carolina connection with Brandon Bean and everything like that. But Trenton Brown of the Patriots is a free agent. That's, that's a big one. Um, he's going to get a lot of money on, on the open market, though, if he gets there, which I'm not sure that he will. Um, but still, I mean, that, that's a guy to keep an eye on. And then also Donovan Smith of the Buccaneers. Uh, who is their left tackle. I think he's someone that can come in and start for you as well. Probably will sign a bigger contract than than what you're probably expecting. Um, and if they want to go on the opposite side, go the right tackle route, which I don't know that I condone this. Jawan James of the Dolphins is someone that is probably going to make a substantial amount of money on the free agent market, and it doesn't seem like the Dolphins are all that inclined to keep him. But... It would signal that Deion Dawkins is the left tackle moving forward if they were to dip their two toes into the James pool. But I'm, I'm not certain that they will.
1: Trent Brown worries me in the sense that he would be leaving a really great situation with arguably the best offensive line coach in the league mm-hmm. and a quarterback who gets rid of the ball very quickly to be a guy that is counted on to be kind of the anchor of an offensive line. Yes, he was the left... He's the left tackle for New England. Uh, if you're watching the Super Bowl this weekend, Former keep an eye seventh on seventh round pick and switch from right tackle God. to left tackle. But when I was doing that story on the offensive line, I kind of you know when I talked to Rick Trickett, his uh, Rick Trickett, we should have on the podcast. He's be, he's outstanding. We would need the bleep button or the explicit tag, one of the two. We have I still we have, have his, both in our. Arsenal. I've used his quotes in two different stories, and I saved one for a third because <laughs> it was just so good. That I that I need to use it. It was very vulgar, but um, he brought up you know what they do with their offensive line and their offensive line coach being so good. And you go across the board; those aren't high picks on that New England offensive line. Part of that is the quarterback getting rid of the ball quickly, but part of it too is the coaching and the development. And the Bills have to hope that they've got an upgrade there. Maybe the most important upgrade of the off season, if uh, Bobby Johnson is uh, an upgrade on Juan Castillo. But that's what would worry me about grabbing a guy that was, you know, developed and molded in that scheme and with that great situation around him, and bringing him somewhere and asking him to be the guy mm-hmm. on an offensive line or, or, you know, be that leader that people are. Ex, you know counting on and leading on but he had a great year and um, has been pretty rock solid for them uh, but that goes to show that you can rebuild an offensive line in some different ways so later round picks uh, but those guys require development and patience these yeah. days that you a lot of teams aren't willing to to give those guys
0: yeah which is why it's important to kind of fill in the the in-between time which is what the bills will have to do this free agent period you know, maybe at, a, at a lot a of connor
1: mcdermott Finally blossoms. Yeah. You know, you can't count on those things. that would but be huge for them. That's not out of the question that in his third year it's like, all right, this guy is developed
0: now. He looked relatively solid in his eighteen snaps in week seventeen.
1: That's the thing, it's eighteen <laughs> snaps. And so but, small sample size. But along you know, it wasn't that long ago where guys did get that time, you mm-hmm. know, especially a late round pick like Connor McDermott to, you know, bring those guys along. Maybe Wyatt Teller takes a jump. These aren't things you can count on though. And right. you don't want to be sitting there in October saying, "Man, we should have should have done more to mm-hmm. to upgrade the offensive line because this is the chance to do it when you have a ton of money and you've got a bunch of draft picks in a pretty offensive line heavy draft."
0: Yep. Totally right. Um okay. So there were some positions we didn't get to we wanted to get to those quickly because we're now almost over an hour and Mark we are over an hour. Um so We owed it to the people. We did. We missed a week. We did. Senior Bowl, um, yeah, happenings. Anyway, uh, so the three positions that we didn't bring up that the Bills will probably look at are tight end, cornerback, and safety if they're looking for a special teams guy. Um, I'll, I'll just quickly go to tight end because I think that's, of those three, that's the more compelling case to add via free agency. I don't know that it's worth their time to... Look for um, a top name on, of a tight end in free agency. I think this is this free agent class is rife with guys that have had a medium amount of snaps that are still young. A lot like the, those pass rushers I was talking about, like Dante Fowler, you know Chris Covington, and and all those guys. Tight ends a lot the same way, where you have younger guys who are still coming into their position, showed some flashes when when they got some time on the field, like the Max Williams of the world of the Ravens. I mean, the former second round pick, not going to cost you a ton, but yeah, if if there's something there, he's got he's an athlete. You, you can get up and down the field in a hurry for uh, as tight ends go. So that's someone to look to. Um, I mean, Luke Stocker of the Titans is another one. Big sort of tight end that can give you a little bit of both with, uh, I guess, in terms of being able to catch the ball and pass blocking, uh, or run blocking, I should say. And then, like, Tyler Croft of the Bengals. Another relatively high pick, um, but didn't get a ton of time on the field. Got hurt, I believe, as well. They they were down to C.J. Uzoma. um, But... Croft is someone that always kind of impressed me be, to have a little bit more ability than maybe the opportunity he was given because he was behind Eifert and then he got hurt. Uh, so I I think I think somewhere in those lines and but something something about Toy Lolo like makes me believe that the Bills would like him.
1: I or Humawui. No
0: yeah. <laughs> CJ Azuma is also a free agent. Yes, he is. Um so there's other guys too. Like I've Got a bunch. Jesse of Jesse James is a yeah. free agent. Blake Logan Bell is Logan a free agent. Logan Paulson is a free agent. Jeff Hewerman of the Broncos. Demetrius Harris is another guy. Um, so if you're looking for that that tier of tight ends, that you know, m- hey, maybe this guy develops into something, and it's worth a three four million dollar a year shot. I mean, that's 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 the type you're looking at. They
1: probably. need to rebuild the whole room. Yes, I think one hundred percent. So maybe Croom can stay. Maybe, but. This idea of him being a number one tight end is a little bit ridiculous. Yeah,
0: He had two fumbles
1: out of 16 receptions last year. He's just, he's a number three at best. Unless, again, maybe he develops. I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. But Charles Clay needs to go. I think Logan Thomas needs to go. I don't think either of those guys bring nearly enough to the table. And so you could argue that you need to rebuild the whole room, and that requires not just... You know, a big name or a number one guy, but a Tyler Croft or a Max Williams, guys that can fill out the depth chart, at least be solid blockers, and you know, be upgrades over Logan Thomas mm-hmm. and Jason. Left Krummel. one out, Nick Boyle, who also played on the Ravens. Yeah, guys, Who started over Max Williams because he's a good uh, blocker. Guys that have just you know been there and done that, uh, you know, and can at least provide some depth. Free agency is not all about splash signings that you know become impact starters guys that can just fill out your depth chart because mm-hmm. I think that tight end spot is really a, a sore spot for them. They, they're they just getting no production out of it, and Jason Kroon, folks, is not the answer. So to me, it's a really, really good draft for tight ends, and I think that's a a spot they should definitely look at. But it does not hurt to bring in a second or third tier veteran who can, you know, give you a little bit of something to fall back on in case of injuries. And Brian Dable doesn't, doesn't exactly hate using two tight end sets either. I also wonder if
0: it's one of those positions where maybe they've just got so many other needs that they just sign one of those guys that we were talking about um, with some potential on their second contract, sort of, sort of dudes who didn't live up to their full billing in their first stop to see if they can get any life out of them. But, maybe kick the can down – just to kick the can down the road on on tight end and try and address it in 2020 when they, you know, will probably have a little bit more flexibility and a lot of these needs are, you know, at least in their mind, uh, taken care of in 2019. So that's one of them. I mean, cornerback, I I threw that in there just because I think they should add some competition for Levi Wallace, but um, I don't think it will be anything substantial like – I even thought of the idea of bringing EJ Gaines back. Why not? Who cares? They know him, and they know he can play in the system. They, and if Levi Wallace loses the job to EJ Gaines, that's you know shame on Levi Wallace. That, right. It's and, it's that simple.
1: Yeah, health was his biggest issue. Yeah, and so good depth guys like fine. That's those are the types of players you're looking at if you're they do need depth at cornerback because Taron Johnson is an injury waiting to happen. Right. The way that he plays and the size uh, that. He plays at Levi Wallace. The same thing, he's a really skinny dude, and so if he plays a ton of snaps, he's an injury. You, you know, these guys miss a game or two. You would also time time. you would
0: also like a corner you bring in to be able to
1: help out on special teams as well. Which Absolutely, is, which, is which you know they yeah. they've been developing some guys, but I still think ultimately you'll you'll see them add somebody for depth yeah. in the secondary, one or two guys, because they do it almost every year. Right, exactly. Um, so yeah, that
0: that uh, basically wraps it up um, I think they'll be making some special teams signings uh, one or two You know, look to linebacker and safety both potentially I wouldn't rule them out keeping five safeties on the roster before it's all said and done the one guy I said to you before the podcast who I think has bills written all over him as long as he doesn't re-sign you're going to be shocked Carolina guy Colin Jones safety uh, who played for Carolina last year didn't get a lot of time on defense, only 9.7%. But 825 of their special team snaps he played on last year. A core guy. And, oh, by the way, guess where they got Heath Farwell from? Yeah, Carolina. So, And I'm, I'm sure he probably knows a full scouting report on, uh, on good old Colin Jones. So, all right. Do you feel primed? You, do you do you feel good about free agency? I mean, it, we still got a ways to go, but it's just a bit of the, the theory behind it. Because, you know, we can go into the individual players as we kind of get closer here. But I think it, it was important to kind of take an, an overview of what they might be looking at. And, of course, this is only in our opinions and our educated guesswork and you know, from talking to people around the organization, seeing the trends of the NFL things like that. But the, I mean, it's important to kind of know what you're getting into here for fans, because I think it's, it's best going into a certain event, a roster building event to have realistic expectations. And, you know, some fans might go, Oh, get, uh, get Tyrell Williams, Paradis, uh, Jadavion Clowney,
1: Anthony Barr, call it a day. Uh, not so much. Yeah, well, and if they did that, then they obviously listened because they pronounced paradise correctly. <laughs> True. <laughs> and at least they have that going for them. If you learn nothing else, you now know how to pronounce the main target's name. And there's probably, Matt there's probably thousands of listeners out there saying, listen to these idiots. I've been pronouncing it correctly since October when I started watching this guy because I was sick of watching Russell Bodine get slapped around by every defensive tackle that he went against. And I apologize for that, but we now know, and (laughs) we're charging forward with that information with great enthusiasm. Yes, we are. All right, so um, that'll do it for
0: this week's episode. Um, And just to wrap it up, remember the Come On Darlene voting. We need your votes. The first round is officially up. If you uh, need the link or if you want to vote, Either find it right in the, uh, the info portion of the SoundCloud link or you can tweet at uh, Matthew and I with hashtag ComeOnDarlene and uh, I'll send it your way to uh, have you be able to vote because we want to get to 200 votes. That'd be great. There's 16 matchups there. And judging it based on the, uh, uh, the play-in games, they're going to be pretty close. I mean, both of them ended 51 to 49%, so we need your help with that. And as we charge into the uh, Sweet 16 of the Come On Darlene bracket. All right. Um, okay. Well, next week we'll reconvene. Uh, uh, there will be a Super Bowl played. There will.
1: And, yeah, then, then it goes into full-on off-season mode. Then everybody will join us in the off-season where we've been hanging out for a while. Yeah. We're comfortable here.
0: It's nice. We, we, we know the off-season. It's, uh, it's been good. It's been, it's been really good, actually. <laughs> uh, going down to Mobile, oh, it's always a fun trip. Practice got canceled
1: on that Wednesday, which was, was kind of wild. Keith Farewell, Farwell.
0: Farewell, Farwell. Uh, name engine, help!
1: <laughs> I think it's Farwell. I'm right? going gonna, gonna to try and find it. I think it depends on your the region, the dialect. Oh,
0: God, the name engine doesn't have it.
1: I think it's Farwell. I, I do, too. We should... We'll have to ask him to pronounce it. Uh, but he got us through the rainy day. You sure did. We talked to him longer than we talked to Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, which is pretty. <laughs> he did, didn't we? Pretty interesting. Um, a lot, He's 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 a good dude. He's got a lot of energy. Yeah, he does. As you would expect, a uh, Danny Crossman had energy too. So, so it's not a, you know. Right not to say that that's a departure from what they had but I'll be interested to see how he does special teams I think is a very much something that the right coach can fix because you know you need discipline and motivated players and that's really two things they didn't seem to have on and uh, that facet of the game last year, well,
0: how about this i'm I'm looking at a uh, flip card from the Chicago Bears versus Seattle Seahawks matchup on December second two thousand and twelve he's not on the pronunciation
1: guide, so I think it's farwell it has to be I've, that's Can't how the Bills it. were pronouncing it last week, so I assume it wouldn't be, I would have known if it was farewell. Farwell, yeah farwell farwell has to be He got us through a rainy day, sure did, so he's off to a good start
0: all right well uh. Thank you all for grinding out another podcast with us. Um, we'll be back next week with the results of the uh, the round one of Commander Arlene Bracket, as well as uh, some other stuff we'll get into. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe we'll dive deeper into some of these free agents. Who knows? We'll, 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 have, to, we'll have to figure that out. But um, the free agency realm is getting closer, and it's only going to come into... More of a view as soon as uh, the Super Bowl is done and teams start to really focus to try and re-sign their own. All right, so for Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the podcast, and we will talk to you next week. See you then.